In the same way that sin once controlled and dominated our lives, true Christians are now under the power and influence of righteousness. We are commanded and compelled by righteousness. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his current series with part four of Whose Slave Are You? Take a look back on your Christian life and experience. Do you notice an increasing pattern of holiness? Do you recognize that by God's grace, you are not who you used to be? Why is that? Well, as Tom will teach today, it's because there is a gracious, good, all-powerful God who's made you a slave of righteousness and who is causing you, by His grace, to walk in His ways. You're no longer a slave to sin, and the ramifications of your freedom, bought by Jesus Christ on the cross, are staggering. Let's join Tom Pennington now with today's message on The Word Unleashed. Apart from Christ, we have no perception of the path that leads to peace in relationships. Notice verse 17, the path of peace they have not known. Not only do people fail to walk on the path of peace that that brings healing to relationships, they don't even know how to find it. And then in verse 18, after he's described the depth to which our depravity goes... He describes the foundation of all human depravity. Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. There's the real problem. So if a person appears to be good, there's no real fear of God. Because if there were, they would humble themselves before God. They would acknowledge His right to rule. They would repent of their sins. They would follow Him and His Son. They would accept the work of His Son that He has freely offered. But there's no fear of God, and so they don't. Now, what I want you to understand, folks, is that is God's description of every person on this planet apart from Jesus, those who know Jesus Christ. And that's true of you before Christ. It doesn't matter whether before Christ your sin took the path of the grossest sinner or the path, like Romans chapter 2, of the religious, the moralist, the good person. You were a slave to sin. Now, if you doubt that, let me just remind you of the essence of what God demands of human beings. If you could reduce the entire Bible to the essence of what God demands of us, what would you say? Oh, you don't have to guess because Jesus did it for us. He said, everything God has commanded is summarized in two basic commands. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now let me ask you a question. Have the people around you that you think are good, have they done that? Of course they haven't. Any more than you and I have, we are all slaves of sin. Paul says it's crucial to understand our condition before salvation. We were all slaves of sin. Now, go back to Romans chapter 6, and notice, secondly, Paul explains the change at salvation. We were regenerated by God. The change at salvation, we were regenerated by God. Verse 17, but thanks be to God 
that though you were slaves of sin, that was your condition, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Now again, it's crucial to note here that Paul's comments are comprehensively true of every genuine Christian. He's not talking in this verse about some elite category of Christian. If you're a Christian, this happened to you. In the same way that all unbelievers, including us before Christ, are slaves of sin, true believers have experienced this radical change. So, what was the change? Verse 17, you became obedient from the heart. You became obedient from the heart. You were slaves of sin. But here's something radical happens. You became obedient from the heart. Now, what is Paul talking about here? Well, clearly in verse 17, he is talking about something that has already happened. And secondly, he's talking about something that has happened to every Christian to whom he's writing. So what is he talking about? He has to be describing their conversion. So the expression, you have obeyed, or you became obedient, points back to the time of their salvation and to the time of your salvation. This is what happened to you and to me if we're Christians. You became obedient from the heart. This points back to the time when we first bowed our knees in submission to Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, this isn't how we would normally say it, is it? We would normally say this, you, from the heart, believe the gospel, right? That's what we would say as we think about our own salvation. So why does Paul call faith and repentance obedience? It's because, in fact, the response of faith and repentance to the gospel is obedience, It is obedience. Or to say it another way, faith and repentance, they are obedience to the commands of the gospel. You remember how Paul puts it? God now commands all people everywhere, what? To repent. Or Mark chapter 1, Jesus came preaching, and this was his sermon. Repent, command, and believe the gospel, command. And this is how... The New Testament presents it. Go back to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 5. Paul is talking about his ministry to the Gentiles. And he says, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about, remember how he put it? The obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake. What's he talking about? He's saying faith is obedience to the gospel. And I think he's also saying that faith produces obedience after you believe the gospel. Both are true. Faith is obedience to the gospel, and genuine faith produces obedience to God after salvation. Go over to the end of Romans, and Paul ends this way in chapter 16, verse 25. He says, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, verse 26, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations. Notice this, the gospel leads to what? The obedience of faith. 
the obedience of faith. So the word obedience then describes the heart of faith. Now go back to Romans 6. You can see why Paul would use it. Remember, he's talking about a change of masters. We have a new master. And so the word obedience, as kind of a synonym for faith, fits perfectly. Our commitment to submit ourselves to Jesus Christ as Lord. Faith is obedience. It's a commitment to change owners. Here's the bottom line. Our slavery to sin began the day we were born. Actually, it began the day we were conceived, according to Psalm 51. And our slavery to God began when, by His grace, we obeyed the gospel. Paul says that obedience to the gospel, notice what he says in verse 17, that obedience to the gospel is from the heart, or literally, out of the heart. I love that. In other words, our obedience to the gospel, our willingness to repent and believe in response to the gospel message was not coerced or forced upon us. It was from the heart. It was glad-hearted, wholehearted, willing obedience to the gospel. Now, what's Paul saying here? He's taking us back to our salvation, and he's saying, listen, at the moment of your salvation, you chose a new master. You became obedient to the heart from the commands of the gospel that said, repent and believe. You've already chosen your master. You have no choice but to obey him. But what exactly produced this change in us? How did you and I go from being slaves of sin to being slaves of God and righteousness? Is this something we orchestrated? Is it because we were so bright, so intelligent, because we had such force of will and resolve? No, let's let's look at the causes. First of all, notice the immediate cause. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart, notice this, to that form of teaching to which you were committed. That is a a unique expression in all of Paul's writings. He says, we became obedient to that form of teaching. Let's take that little phrase apart because it's very important. The Greek word translated form is tupas, from which we get our English word type. Type. It's used of a form in the sense of a mold or pattern. That's the idea behind this word. And by teaching... Paul's referring undoubtedly to the gospel. Remember, he's talking about what we responded to at conversion. So here's what he's saying. The pattern or the form or the the imprint of the gospel, it molds, it shapes, it transforms those who receive it. In other words, the effective cause behind this change in us, behind our regeneration, was the form of the gospel. It shaped us. In other words, here's what Paul is saying in clear terms. God regenerated you. He made you new. He changed you from being a slave of sin to being obedient from the heart to the gospel through His Word. That's what he's saying. Through His Word. James 1.18 says, in the exercise of God's will, this is something God initiated, 
He brought us forth. He birthed us. He regenerated us by the word of truth. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, Peter says, you have been born again. You have been regenerated. You've been made a new creation through the living and enduring word of God. You understand that that's how God worked in your life? Maybe you'd heard the gospel before many times. Maybe you'd grown up in the church and the gospel was pedestrian to you. Or maybe it was the very first time you heard the true gospel message. And God used that word, that form of teaching, to make you obedient from the heart. So the operative or the effective cause of our regeneration was the form or the pattern of teaching we heard and believed. That's what was the immediate cause. But what was the ultimate cause? Why did you come to Christ? Why did you obey the gospel? Verse 17, though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching, there's the immediate cause, to which you were committed. Now that is a fascinating expression, to which you were committed. We expect Paul to say that the teaching had been delivered to the Romans. But what he actually says is that the Romans had been delivered to this teaching. In fact, I think the wording in the NAS here can be confusing. The word committed, that can make it sound like we committed ourselves to the teaching of the gospel. But that's exactly the opposite of what Paul is saying here. The Greek word translated committed is most often used in the New Testament to describe someone being delivered over or handed over to another power. For example, if you go back to chapter 1, you remember three times in chapter 1, it says God gave them over. That's this word. God handed them over. God delivered them over to their sin. That's this word. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, Paul talks about church discipline, and he says, I handed them over to Satan. Same thing in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, Hymenaeus and Philetus, I've handed them over to Satan in church discipline. That's this word, to hand over, to deliver. You can see how this idea of being handed over fits perfectly in the context of slavery. Paul is describing here slaves being handed over from one master to another. You see what he's saying? Paul is arguing that in regeneration, we were delivered over like a slave from one master to another to that form of teaching to which we became obedient. Here's the key question. By whom? Who delivered us over? Who handed us over to the gospel? The answer, obviously, is God Himself. God is the ultimate cause behind your becoming obedient to the gospel. On the day you believe, God handed you over to that form of teaching and you became obedient. We were slaves of sin, but God interjected Himself into our lives, and He delivered us over to that form of teaching to which we then became obedient. Tom Schreiner, in his commentary, puts it this way. He says, God must be the one who causes obedience to rise in human hearts, because all human beings are slaves of sin. 
To be a slave of sin means that one is under its lordship and dominion and unable to extricate oneself from its tyranny. God, in His grace, broke the shackles of our sin so that glad-hearted obedience became a reality for the Roman Christians. Now, this becomes even clearer in how Paul introduces verse 17. Notice what he says. It's clear that God handed us over because he begins, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient. He's saying, listen, you don't get any credit. It's not like you did anything. You were a slave of sin. Thanks be to God that he handed you over to a new master. Paul thanks God because although God used the truth of the gospel, that form of teaching, he alone is ultimately responsible for the change in us. So that is the change that happened at salvation. There's a third part of this argument as Paul unfolds this radical change in the believer's relationship to sin, and that is, thirdly, our condition after salvation. Our condition after salvation. And we can describe it this way. We were made slaves of righteousness. We were made slaves of righteousness. Now again, he begins verse 18 by talking about the fact that we have been freed from our old master. Verse 18, and having been freed from sin. Go back to chapter 6, verse 2. He says, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? We died to sin. It doesn't mean we died to temptation or that we don't sin anymore. It means we died to the controlling power of sin, to our slavery to sin, to the rule of sin. You don't have to obey sin anymore. Christian, you've been freed from its tyranny in your life. Yes, it's still there, but it's there like a little roving bands of of a defeated army. This is a mopping up operation. The enemy has been defeated. You're no longer a slave to sin. Go down to verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you. That's not a command. That's a statement of fact. If you're a Christian, it's not going to happen because God has shattered the slavery to sin that you once experienced. But then you come down to verse 18. While Paul has talked about this concept that we died to the rule and power of sin, you come to verse 18, and for the first time, Paul speaks of this as freedom. As freedom. His point, however, is that God didn't free you from sin. He didn't shatter its rule in your life so that you could go out and live a selfish life of selfish indulgence. At the same time that he freed us from our old master, he enslaved us to our new master. Look at verse 18. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now that is a very important statement. Let's take it apart piece by piece. You, in the original language, you, the concept behind you there is plural. It's contained sometimes in the pronoun, sometimes in the verb, but it's plural. You, all of you Christians to whom I'm writing, if you're in Christ, this is true of you. You were made slaves of righteousness. Literally, you were caused to be. 
slaves of righteousness. You were enslaved to righteousness. I, I don't like the translation here, you became slaves. That sounds like maybe this was your decision, this is something that, that you decided. No, no, it's something that happens to you. It's done in a, pa- in a passive voice in the original language. And the idea here is someone did this to you. It's a statement of fact. It's not a command. This has already happened. At salvation, God not only freed you from the power of sin, but at, in regeneration, He also subjected you to the power of righteousness. Now, don't misunderstand what Paul is saying here. It is true, if you're a Christian, that you admire righteousness, right? I mean, you admire that. You, you like what you see, for example, in the life of Christ. You find it beautiful and attractive. It is also true that you desire to be that. Again, if you're a Christian, you have a desire for holiness. You want to be like Jesus Christ. It's also true that you strive to be like that. All of those things are true. But Paul is saying more here. Notice, he says, we are slaves to righteousness. In the same way that sin once controlled and dominated our lives, true Christians are now under the power and influence of righteousness. We are commanded and compelled by righteousness. God made you at regeneration a slave of righteousness in the same sense that you used to be a slave of sin. This is regeneration. This is our hope, Christian. This is the reality of what God is doing in us. You remember, the chief weakness of the law was what? That all it could do is tell us what to do, but it could never accomplish obedience. It could never produce the obedience that it demanded. But the Old Testament prophets saw a day when God would create within His people the ability to keep His law. You remember the new covenant promises of Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, and Ezekiel chapter 36. In fact, let's turn to Ezekiel. Look at Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36. Here is the promise of the new covenant. And while there are elements of the new covenant that pertain directly and specifically to Israel that have not yet been fulfilled, we live under the new covenant. The writer of Hebrews tells us that. Paul said he was a minister of the new covenant. The juice of the Lord's table was the seal of the new covenant. And so we live under this. And notice part of the promise, the spiritual promise contained in the new covenant. Verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. This pictures the ceremonial cleansing, but God's using it as a picture of deep, profound spiritual cleansing. God says, I'm going to cleanse you. He goes on to say, I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. God says, I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to wash you clean. This is forgiveness. Verse 26, moreover, I will give you a new heart This is regeneration. I'm going to take out who you are, and I'm going to replace it with a new you. I'm going to make you a new person, and I'm going to put a new spirit within you. That is, a new new grid through which to see and interpret everything. This has to do with the spirit of your mind and how you see everything and how you interpret everything. God says, I'm going to make you new. 
I'm going to remove the heart of stone. A, a heart of stone pictures a stubborn, rebellious heart, and I'm going to replace it with a pliable heart, a heart that's tender toward me. And then I love this, verse 27. This gets to the heart of what Paul is saying in Romans 6. I will put my spirit within you. And notice this, underline this, I love this, and cause you to walk in my statutes. I'm going to make you a slave of righteousness. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of Whose Slave Are You? Tom will continue with part five on our next program. Join us then, won't you? Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.